You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Welcome back to another episode of Discover Ag brought to you in part by Case IH. I am your host, Natalie, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And I am Tara, an environmental scientist and dairy farmer from New Mexico. And we are bringing you today the top three trending news articles in the ag and food space, just like we do every week. Can I tell you what a mistake I made today? Oh, do tell. So, you know, I feel like hair, I don't think this is true for you, but like hair washing day is a big day for me. Like it is, I saw this morning, I woke up and I was like, I want to look beautiful for the podcast recording. So I woke up early, I showered, I washed my hair. And when I was in the shower, I realized I'm getting my hair done later today. So it's a total bust, like a complete waste of a hair wash day because someone is going to wash and do and style and blow out my hair in three hours. And I just did all of that this morning. Yeah, I absolutely relate to that 0%. I know. I know. (laughs) It is definitely a me problem, not a you problem. I'm sorry. But I like it just set me off on the wrong foot today. I have been on a pretty extensive hair journey, though, in multiple different ways. You know, we've spent a lot of time together traveling. Um, So, you know, I am a wash my hair every single night, which I'm sure some people listening just cringed a little bit on the inside because I know that is not healthy for your hair. But that is how I grew up. I think it has to do with sports and like late night sweating, I guess, with athletics. And I'm trying really, really hard to be a twice a week, three times a week, once a week hair washer. And it has been such a struggle. I can't believe that is the hair journey you decided to share about because there's another hair journey we've been dealing with for weeks, months, maybe years, maybe our entire friendship of whether or not Natalie is cutting a bob again. And that is the hair journey I thought you were going to take us on. But (laughs) apparently you were going through lots of hair journeys. Well, I am because I'm also trying Armour, which we talked about on the podcast because I want to thicken my hair. But yes, I habitually annoy every single person that is close to me in my life with the decision of whether I should grow my hair out or chop it. It is my Roman empire. What's funny is my Pinterest right now is completely um, tattoo placement and bobs, neither of which I'm planning on getting. It's just because of you. So thank you for that. I'm like, can I get a recipe in here? Like, you know, fall decor? No, just, uh, just things for Natalie. A little PSL, some pumpkin spice latte. Speaking of this morning also, or the last couple days, the weather has changed and it is fall and I am unwell. I love fall. Nebraska gets a really great fall. So again, I 0% relate to you. I know. I'm sorry, but it is like cloudy and misty and rainy, which I'm very thankful for the rain. But I, um, I'm i sad that summer is over. I am mourning. I'm in mourning this week. If you see me, just know that is the mood I'm in. We were on a call yesterday and you were in a long sleeve turtleneck it was freezing. I pulled out my Duckworth what? wool and was literally in wool. I walked around the dairy yesterday with the girls in Duckworth wool because it was so cold. It was 65, but it was very cold. Please define cold for everyone listening. Right. I just said it was 65 and slightly rainy. And I was, I, the cows loved it. I posted that to my stories. I was like, the cows are happy and thriving and I am not. So there's that. So you know who has been on a roll this morning? My husband. I heard him in the background when we were on the phone this morning. What's Mr. Luke up to? Oh, I have so many stories from the last two hours of my life. I don't (laughs) know how I made it to the podcast this morning. I was putting away laundry this morning and Tad and Luke are nowhere near the same body size. 
completely aware of that. But Tad is no longer in like junior clothing. So when I am folding clothes, it is very easy to mistake Tad shirts and Luke shirts this morning. (laughs) Because I got, I'm still laughing about this. This morning, I apparently put a handful of Tad's work shirts in Luke's closet and I walked into the bedroom. (laughs) I know. I'm just getting a really great visual right now, and I just am already laughing. I'm sorry, everyone, for my crackling. <laughs> it is so warranted. This morning, I walked into the bedroom, and Luke had Tad's work shirt on. <laughs> it was a sight. It was a sight. <laughs> and I just can't stop thinking about it because it didn't fit, you guys. I hate, you know. If you were wondering about the suspense of how the story ended, it could not even get buttoned. I could barely actually get it back off of Luke's body unless his <laughs> arms were through the armholes. Poor Luke. Thankfully, he won't listen to this anyway, so he no won't idea. have to hear us laughing. Oh, no my gosh. Idea. I I'm afraid that I'm on uh, Luke's shit list after last night, and I feel bad. I know Luke's probably disappointed because we were supposed to come to Nebraska in October, and last night Daniel and I had a heated debate about it, and Dan said... I cannot go. His knee, I think the knee is the issue for Daniel, the blowing the knee out. He still hasn't made it into the orthopedic surgeon. But I know Luke, and I know Luke's going to be sad we're not coming to a Huskers game. It's okay. He'll probably tell you to wait for like a winning season anyway. So He was already talking about that. He was like, I'm just afraid it's not going to be like the full atmosphere if we're not winning. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think we care, but I think Luke cares. I'm just happy we continue to push off buying tickets because Luke's like, well, if they lose another game, tickets will get cheaper. So let's just wait again. (laughs) (laughs) Go Big Red. Yeah, that is some really like um, a winning attitude there, Luke. So I don't think I've told you this yet, but this weekend I am going to visit my sister and I am going to an oyster farm. So I'm totally going to story from the Oyster Farm on Discover's um, Instagram page. So it'll be the day after this airs. So if you guys are interested in oysters, um, tune into our Discover Instagram stories. I'm so jealous. I'm, I mean, I don't eat oysters, but um, it was funny. The lady on the phone was like, yeah, kids come for free, but you know, they obviously don't eat oysters. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't eat oysters. My kids do. I'll be trading with them. You're like, you have not met the Vanderdusen girls. No. So I'm kind of excited, though. I feel like that's like a part of agriculture. Like we're going to do a farm tour and everything and go around and see how they farm oysters. We have talked about doing some sort of seafood for like our third episode for Discover Ag, the docuseries portion. So I'm excited to follow along. I know. I I thought I would kind of scout it out, maybe see what what was what the hype was about for um, the fishing industry. So I hope you feel excited. lost without your other half discovering oh i will i probably will who knows what will happen i will just have me the girls my sister so not the dynamic duo yeah because then we all know that i am also the one that keeps us you know in line i'm the one with the plan out there i'm the one (laughs) 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 making sure everything goes smooth right with the list i'm the more responsible prepared one of the two of us I know. The last thing I will say is last night we got our final cut of our new episode for Discover the docuseries and we submitted it to a little known film festival and um, quite exciting. When I hit submit last night, it was like, I don't know, late. It was like 1130 and I was, oh, butterflies like crazy. I got very emotional again watching it this morning. Very proud of the piece of work we created and I just, fingers crossed you guys, it gets picked up. Someone is interested in it and we can continue this ball rolling down the hill. 
Okay, well, with that, let's get into today's articles. But first, we want to thank Case IH, our sponsor. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and to even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. All right. The first article to discover this week, headline, the food industry pays influencer dietitians to shape your eating habits. Registered dietitians are being paid to post videos that promote diet, soda, sugar, and supplements on Instagram and TikTok. I think the big issue here is that people feel like the RDs and the health professionals, and there was one um, like workout person or lifestyle person as well. That <laughs> uh, workout person. I don't know what they're called. Fitness, health and fitness. Yes, I'm not fitness sure. Influencer. I think that's what it's thank called. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for that. Is that while they did put like hashtag paid or hashtag sponsored, they didn't explicitly say that they were representing the American beverage company or that they were representing Coca-Cola or PepsiCo or all of these other companies and people wanted more than just hashtag ad on these posts. Yeah. So I'm not sure how I feel about all of this quite yet, but a little backstory. It all circulated around this hashtag called um, titled or hashtag safety of aspartame. There are about 43 posts. If you search it on Instagram right now, I did watch a handful of them. And like you said, you know, it's almost tit for tat going right now. The Washington Post claims that, you know, this trade group, the AB, you know, paid an undisclosed amount to these registered dietitians, physician, um, there's also a physician and a fitness influencer to blunt the who's claims that aspartame is ineffective for weight loss and possibly carcinogenic. So they're saying they went out there, they said this, and they weren't clear about it. On the other hand, a lot of the influencers are standing very firmly behind their videos And there was even statements from the AB as well, standing very firmly that they felt like they didn't do anything wrong with this campaign. For me, this is such like a gray area. Like I believe these registered dietitians probably stand behind what they decided to promote, I would guess. Like I just, I don't know, maybe there was people out there that are really that greedy that were just like, oh, cool, a couple thousand dollars or $10,000 to promote. But I'm guessing they were like, we believe in this messaging that it is safe. You know, a bunch of the influencers I looked at were like, it is approved by the FDA. It, you know, the science behind the WHO report is sketchy at best. And to be honest, on the agriculture side of things, you know, we've seen a UN FAO report that came out, you know, Livestock's Long Shadow that was terrible science and that had to be completely like debunked. So like in defense of the RDs, I don't doubt that they didn't do their homework and look at it. It's just a very gray area to have health professionals promoting like sugary processy foods, I think is where I'm like getting so stuck. So I think I feel it's a case by case as it should be with anything. And so I do think that some of these influencers that had good videos, I watched a couple, I stood by what they said, I understood what they were saying, and I thought it was a well done video. And like you said, I do think it is something that they practice and believe in their everyday life as dietitians off of line. There were examples in the article, though, of videos I didn't stand by, which actually came more under the sugar component of the article and less under the aspartame component of the article. 
And I think my big frustration is, and I've talked to you about this before, there is actually a study that came out of Wharton that says if you can create a negative emotion in people, whether that's fear, um, anxiety, anger, outrage, if you can create that negative emotion when they're reading an article or a headline, it has like almost a 40% more chance of going viral. So I think a lot of media now is positioning themselves to capitalize off that. We all know, you and I are creators, we know how to position a piece of content to increase virality, whether that is stating certain words, twisting words, leaving out words, cliffhangers, you know, two-second intro hooks, all of that. And I feel like what the Washington Post did kind of was lumped a bunch of good posts and bad posts all together in this article and then put a very triggering headline on it to to make this seem almost a little bit bigger and worse than it is. I completely agree. Some of the videos I had no problem with, like one of the registered dietitians going back to the aspartame was saying how um, it gives you sweetness, but like it doesn't affect your blood sugar. So if you're a diabetic, it may actually be a better choice for you than something else. Um, And so that I was like, yes. And then I kept scrolling through the article and then it got yes to the sugar and some of the other things. And I feel like some of the influencers were doing exactly what you said. This article was doing exactly what you said. It was clickbaity. Some of the influencers were being very clickbaity and very polarizing. Um, And so it is just, um, it's not that I'm against registered dietitians supporting whatever it is that they choose to support. Because even in, you know, our industries, I know dairy hires lots of registered dietitians. We have registered dietitians on the team for dairy. Um, I think beef che- beef does as well. I think pork does probably as well. So it's not that I'm against that piece of it. It's just kind of how it is all put out onto the internet for consumption of people. One of the quotes that I really liked in this was, food and beverage industry is using influencers to sway consumers faced with often contradicting health messages about popular products. And that I think is the issue that is not like it is not black and white. There is a ton of gray and these influencers are swaying and maybe using tactics that are kind of, I don't know, trying to make their posts go viral. And that is where I think I have the issue with this. Yeah. And so I guess to keep going like a layer deeper. I agree. My issue isn't with registered dietitians being influencers at all. And I think often you'll hear us say on this podcast, we are happy they got the perspective of registered dietitian. We have brought on the perspective of registered dietitian. So I think we appreciate and respect their profession and their, you know, knowledge they have. So, and I think they should have the right to, to influence. Every other industry does. Why shouldn't registered dietitians? I think there may be some fault with AB a little bit that maybe needs to be investigated. And I think the fingers are being pointed at influencers and maybe the fingers should be pointed at the organization a little bit more. And then I also feel like this is definitely a person consuming problem. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about how influencers are now starting to work with the car industry and promote different cars. And it was actually two hosts and one of the hosts had kind of a bigger issue with it and was like, really, that seems really shady. Like, you're going to go promote, you know, the Toyota Highlander while you drive, you know, the Jeep Cherokee. That seems weird. And the other one was like, well, everyone knows it's just influencing. You're just like top of funnel awareness. You're marketing. They're promoting a vehicle that they think looks great. I mean, maybe they aren't currently driving it, but maybe they would be interested in it. You know, I mean, there's just two camps, I think, of people that are 
maybe at conflict when it comes to just influencing in general. And again, this article is kind of like taking the heat for all of that. But I kind of go back to like, while influencing is new, this is not a new concept. I remember being a kid and Jennifer Aniston had a hair commercial for like Garnier or something and she's like washing her hair. And I remember thinking, and I was probably like a teenager, there's no way Jennifer Aniston is washing her hair with that shampoo every single day, right? Like, and the same with the skincare. Like, this is not like some new phenomena. Every Since we've had commercials, we have had people sharing their opinions about products that they may or may not be using. If anything, I think now you get the choice to say, this is who I want to follow. This is who I don't want to follow or don't trust. And you get to put like your decision in it. Right. I agree. I think more common sense approach needs to be brought to the internet instead of take everything for face value. And this might be a controversial statement, but if all of the influencers disclosed that they it was a paid piece of content. A lot of them had ads sponsored, whatever the, you know, there were different hashtags used as well beyond just the safety of Hasbertame. Does it matter where it's coming from? I mean, they disclosed, it's they're disclosed they're getting money, they're getting paid to do this. Does it matter whether company X did it or company Y? Like, should that matter? This is where I'm going to end up on my soapbox. And I have probably talked about it before because I feel so strongly, but... I do think like one of the things I mentioned that dairy has registered dietitian beef does. We're also a part of checkoff where every single message that we have has to be approved by USDA and go through like rigorous checks and balances. And we have to say like it, this ad came from dairy checkoff. Like you have to explicitly say that. And so I do think I, part of me feels like all companies should be held to that same level of scrutiny kind of that maybe not to the point that USDA has to approve every message that like American beverage, but maybe, I don't know, but at least they should probably have to say where it was coming from. Like, I I do think that would like level the playing field with marketing a little bit more and make some more transparencies. I say that knowing full and well that labels are an issue and that they don't solve anything. So I don't know that this would really solve anything, but I think there could be a little bit more, I don't know, checks and balances in place. One of the things I did want to mention is I did feel kind of bad for some of the registered dietitians when I was on theirs, uh, on their Instagram post. A lot of them had to limit their comment section because of all the comments they were getting about negativity. And it just reminded me of like uh, the wood milk campaign, you know, so many other things where people have just like flooded, you know, influencers accounts to share their disdain for a post. Right. I agree. I think the influencer is taking a lot of heat that necessarily isn't and shouldn't be directed at the the influencers because they are bringing, I mean, a lot of the facts that are rooted in more scientific evidence. Sometimes people just don't like to hear that. And sometimes, I don't know, it can be hard to have nuanced conversations online too, which I think is a big problem when it comes to, you know, comparing while the beauty industry gets to pay someone to promote the lipstick, why is that okay? Versus, you know, the beverage company getting to promote coca-cola well one people had argued like it's different in um severity but two it's like you have to have more conversation there's more details there's more it needs to be like more back and forth with you know conversations like this that the the dietitians were promoting versus like go buy the red lipstick i just bought i agree this is definitely a different layer of um affecting people's health and decision making but i ultimately think it goes back to a point you said like briefly was like it's up to you as the consumer also to like 
decide, you know, what what you're taking to heart, what you're going to be implementing in your life and and who you're even going to be following. So I think we have to take a little bit more responsibility for our own consumption of like materials, consumption of videos, uh, and not always place the blame on those just creating the content. So um, I have to show you the reason I wanted to get fixed today is because I wanted to wear my cute new vote earrings. Oh, they look lovely. I wanted to look, um, you know, fancy while podcasting today. You know that I just finally got my left earlobe re-pierced so I can no, one you day did? again. Yes. <laughs> just last Oh my weekend. gosh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I know. I have been, you guys, I have been unable to wear earrings for probably two months now, I would say. My left earlobe randomly, not randomly, I've had like problems with it, but it finally closed and I just wasn't able to wear earrings, obviously. And it took me forever to get in, to get it re-pierced and I finally did it. I have to leave the little studs I have in now for three more months, but I have three pairs of vote earrings sitting out on my dresser, just waiting, waiting to be worn. I'm so excited. Yeah. So this is a new brand for me. You have shared about them on social before, but we are bringing them to the podcast. It is Vote Silversmith and every single piece of jewelry is handcrafted. Uh, it, they have a really incredible history brand story. I was reading on their website last night getting ready for this and it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's interesting because I have done uh, Instagram work for them and they I just they were so well known that I guess when I was promoting them on Instagram, I didn't do kind of some of the um, deeper research on them, like that they are out of Mexico, you know, um, that they've been family owned since 1970. They've just they have had such a well-known, reputable brand that when they reached out, I was just ecstatic to work with them. So reading some of the highlight points that got set over just made me fall in love with them even more. And I was like, this is understandable why they are such a beloved jewelry company within the Western industry. Yeah, they own and operate two silver shops in Mexico and they employ local craftsmen to create like one of a kind pieces. Like I said, all made by hand. All the leather is handcrafted. They also have a lifetime guarantee on all of their products, which is really incredible. And then on the ag side, the owners actually have a ranch as well um, in California and Oregon. And they do like incredible conservation, environmental stewardship on their ranch. They've received uh, some incredible awards. So the family's doing really cool things. The jewelry is too. I don't know. I'm in love with my earrings right now. I know you've showcased the belts. I have the belt, one of the belts on my Christmas list already for Daniel. And that is something to make note of is right now they are doing their custom orders, but their deadline is November 13th. So you have about a month to get your orders in for Christmas for any custom pieces. So I know it's only October, but we got to start thinking about Christmas gift giving now. And you guys, this would truly be such a good one. I think I have, I don't know, five or six vote pieces now. They're definitely, well, they have a price range. They have some, you know, less expensive and then definitely some more investment pieces. But it is truly stunning, beautiful, engrave, um, like engraving work from, you know, engravement into the jewelry, which I don't think that's called engravement, but, you know, like the silversmith details. It's stunning when you look at it on jewelry. And it's just as stunning when you look at on the leather belt. So they have a wide variety of offerings from earrings, necklaces. They have um, bracelets, rings, belts. They have the whole gamut. And um, I just, I really could not stand behind a jewelry brand more than I stand behind Vogue. 
I'm excited that we're bringing them to the podcast. Uh, you'll be able to see more of them on our uh, Instagram. So check out Discover Stories. I was going to share. I styled them for date night the other night. So I'll share that on um, stories this week as well. And we'll link their website in the show notes and make sure you use code discover because that is going to save you money. All right, getting into the second headline to discover this week, California regulators order Arrowhead, the bottled water company, to stop drawing water from some mountain springs. They're saying Nestle is unlawfully pulling water from a national park, according to California officials. So this is not actually whether or not they're allowed or going to stop pulling water. They This is about whether or not they have an active permit and which wells they can or cannot or springs they can or cannot pull from. And it really gets kind of technical into the water rights side of all of this and kind of fascinating, uh, but also crazy when you look at the history. I mean, you're talking about they're going back into like the early 1900s of what they're arguing about whether it's okay or not for them to pull water. This was definitely filed under things Natalie never thinks about (laughs) on her (laughs) day-to-day life is the permits of bottled water, where they're pulling from, public lands. Nope, I'm too busy thinking about whether I should cut my hair or not to be concerned about this. But I do think now that I read this article, I was like, wow, lots to consider here. Lots to dive into. Yeah, they have been pulling water from the San Bernardino Mountains since 1885. And so now, like I said, they're still pulling water, but it is a lot less water than previously done. And they have been arguing about this, which I thought was crazy, since 2015. This has been an ongoing legal battle. And what came up in 2015 is apparently they were um, operating under a permit that had expired decades ago. And then in 2018, they renewed their permit under the Forest Service because this is public land, as Natalie mentioned. So that is also the point of issue here is that people are heated about whether a company, a public company can pull water because other people's water rights were pulled and were not allowed to pump, whereas this big company was still allowed to. And then now that permit lasted for five years. And that's why this is coming back up again. Yeah. And the brand, it's Blue Triton brand. They say they plan to sue to block the order, adding it will vigorously defend our water rights through the available legal process. Like you said, they're saying that they have um, used the water since well before 1914, making them have you know seniority because it was before regulations. They also talked a little bit about that the water is taken from underground, not from the sur- surface, which then they're saying that the Water Resources Control Board has no jurisdiction over its use. I mean, no surprise there. The bottled water company is going to adamantly fight for their right to continue to bottle their water. Um, I do think it's kind of crazy that they're like, we've been doing it forever, so we're going to keep doing it, or that makes it okay. And you're like, well, kind of, that's not really like a great argument just because you've been doing something since, you know, before guidelines doesn't mean you get to just ignore guidelines. Actually, not true. That actually is how the entire West is set up, water rights. It is who proved beneficial use first. So actually, I feel like they have some pretty strong legs to stand on on this. It is literally like first appropriation and proving you have beneficial use. No, you're right. Sorry. I don't want to say that I knew that, it. you know, I am not a water board girly. So I did not know <laughs> that those were the exact rules. But what I meant was I'm wondering if we should relook at those rules. Like I'm not sure I stand behind the way that is set up and being like, well, first come, first serve and we get to, you know, rules don't apply to us. If that's the way it's set up, then obviously you're right. They have legs to stand on. But maybe we need to look at the way it's set up. 
Oh, man, Natalie, you're just busting up a whole can of water rights worms. Uh, I should say, like, this was the company that I worked for before I quit my job. Our Their main focus was water rights. So I, like, ate, slept, breathed water rights, kind of adjacent. I was not technically in the water rights, but, like, yeah, water rights are crazy. I mean, people spend millions and millions of dollars on their water rights. And I think one of the issues here, this is like getting into a whole nother like topic. But yeah, how we set it up at the very beginning was not maybe the best way. And so trying to go back and redo that now, though, is, I mean, hundreds of a hundred years plus of, you know, people doing things a certain way and being pulled being allowed to pull a certain amount of water. I do think what is an issue with this, though, is that the Forest Service pulled other people's permits, smaller people, like every day. I mean, I don't know how big the companies were or why they were pulling water. Was it for cattle? Was it for, you know, sheep? Or what were they using it for? I don't know. But it seems suspicious that they said, yeah, Nestle, you keep going. But like everyone else, we're getting rid of. I think that is problematic. I was actually going to say, I felt like if anyone should maybe be called out in this article. It isn't so much the people against, uh, like, I don't know who is suing, you know, what, um, little organization that is. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily the water, but I feel like I do feel like the forest service has maybe played the shadiest role in this because they allowed them to continue without a permit at one point and then they issued it and then reissued it. And then they didn't monitor that. And so out of the whole article, I was kind of like, the Forest Service seems the most suspicious out of everything that's going on right now. Yeah, from 1988 till 2015, when this went to court the first time, they were operating without a permit and Forest Service was not not up in arms, not (laughs) real concerned about it. I mean, I'd like to think maybe their understaff had better things to do than just check on this, but obviously this is part of their job as well. Uh, And they had time to pull other people's permits. So that did feel, um, I don't fishy. Like it just, I don't know. I was not sure. I'd love to know what back room deals were going on to make that all happen. We need an issue stated statement from them. My, one of my questions I had when I was reading this is, is the bigger concern that the spring will run dry with like this continued pumping? Like what are the actual odds of that? Like, you know, like what severity is this kind of situation what we're looking at? Yeah. So you said you weren't sure who sued it. It was environmental and community groups alike that band together to, um, you know, pursue this. But they said that the brand is not only depleting the region's water and that is negatively impacting ecosystems, but also negatively impacting this spring. And so it is about the ecosystem, about running out of water. I mean, we know out here in the West running out of water is a real fear. And people, I mean, we have a lot more battles coming our way with fighting over water, if I had to guess, in the next decade, two decades, three decades. Do you have a bottled water brand you swear by? Are you like by the same brand all the time? Yeah, Arrowhead. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, this is what I buy every day. Hilarious. Uh, I don't even know why. I just feel like I, I'm not like, I am not a stan. Like I will buy whatever bottled water. And I feel like lately, sometimes you get what you get on the shelf because that's all that's left. Um, but yeah, I do really like Arrowhead water. I have a lot of friends that are water snobs and will only buy certain water brands. They swear they can taste the difference between the different water brands. And I'm your best value girl. I will take the two for a dollar 39 or at the bottom. (laughs) Whenever I can. (laughs) Um, Maddie is going to laugh at this producer, Maddie, that, uh, there's one bottled water brand I will not drink 
and I'm curious if she's going to put it in the chat. It is Allsup's Bottled Water, which is our local gas station here in New Mexico, Texas. Uh, and all I can tell you is when you open that bottle of Allsup's water, it tastes like an Allsup's looks. Oh, yep. Maddie, come in and no, no, no. Capital N, capital O. <laughs> so I am not a water snob, but I will not drink Allsup's Bottled Water. <laughs> so there we go. Our third article for today is brought to you guys by Morning Ag Clips. So we've talked about them before that we are sourcing articles from Morning Ag Clips. We really love their articles. Um, this one is no exception. It had really great facts, really great information, a lot of great quotes and statements that um, I know I personally didn't find in some of the other articles that were related to this topic. So uh, if you guys are looking for a source for your ag news, and they have a wide spectrum of ag topics from food, kind of like what we covered, to more agriculture culture, uh, go check out Morning Ag Clips. Yeah, they have an email list. They have a blog. They have a website. So you guys can access them in a ton of different ways. And like Tara said, I do feel like they do a really good job covering uh, a widespread of different topics pertaining to the ag industry. So if you are looking for another source, we highly recommend Morning Ag Clips. All right. The title to discover from Morning Ag Clips is uh, Spotted Lanternfly Identified in Illinois. So the first I heard about the spotted lant lantern was actually on the Giggly Squad. And they did, were just talking about how there's this whole campaign in New York City right now about, like, I guess it's the state ag department telling people, if you see one, kill it. And when I was reading through this article and other ones, it was hilarious to hear about all of the different states and their campaigns for killing the spotted lanterns. And maybe we should share why we want to kill them. I listened to the same podcast that you did, and I was actually laughing so hard because they were talking about how one of them is Southern, one of the hosts, and she was like, we would see a bug and we'd want to save it. And she was like, not us New Yorkers. We have somewhere to go. We're like, get out of our way, bug. We're going to smash you and kill you and walk off. <laughs> and it was so funny. Um, but you're right. There are different campaigns. Virginia launched one that is, if you see it, kill it. Um, Miss Michigan tells its residents, see it, squish it, report it. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Ohio, they all have um, implemented different quarantines and have different, um, you know, uh, campaigns as well, which is kind of just hilarious to me that each state is like, this is where we're at. Like, this is what the art, the ag, you know, marketing team is doing right now is coming up with clever headlines about how we can kill these bugs. I, but I cannot believe we live in a world where our state has an official TikTok page. Yeah. New York State has an official TikTok page where they are pumping out content about stomp it out, stomp out the spotted lanterns. And I'm just like, really? Like that? I just can't believe that in 2023, our states need to have a TikTok. Just something does not feel right in the world with that statement. So the problem is that these bugs feed on and kill crops and trees. So they're risking the food system. There was a lot of mention about grapes, which I think that's one of the reasons why New York is extremely concerned um, and why the ag department would be recommending like stomp it, kill it. The other thing, which is why they're all the states are going to this like end the life step quickly is because they travel really easily, which just really shocked me. I mean, they can spread extremely easily, extremely, I don't know if I want to say quickly, but I just felt like they're like, they can attach to trains, they can attach to automobiles. If you're out hiking, they can attach to any of your stuff. Um, so there was a lot of awareness around how easily they can move uh, from state to state as well. 
So they are from Southeast Asia originally. And yes, they came to the United States to Pennsylvania first in 2014. That was the first spotting. And since 2014, they've spent 15 states. So they are everywhere. And one of the issues is they have no predators here in the United States. So they can just run rampant very quickly. It is worth noting, though, that they do not affect humans or cattle or livestock. It is definitely more of a nuisance. So they said if they continue to have the populations on the rise, it'll be an issue if you're out like at a fall pumpkin patch, you could have them like swarming really bad. Or if you're out on a hike, uh, that they will be in large populations. Did you see that the officials were asking residents to scrape any eggs they find? I was reading the description of the eggs and it was like, it looks like old used chewing gum. That's what the egg sacs look like. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am not going to be, yeah, it was like, scrape them off your boat. Scrape, if you see them on your tent, like, so right now, August through October, I think is when you can kill the actual bugs. But then September through May is when you want to kill like the eggs. So we're getting into egg season, apparently. So that's why they're uh, telling you about how to kill the eggs. And like you said, they are currently not in every state. Thank goodness there are 15 Illinois marked the 15th one to detect them. But they join like Connecticut, Delaware, Indiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Virginia, and West Virginia. So if you are tuning in from any of those states, um, I would love to hear actually if you have seen a campaign, if you're from one of those states, or if you have heard about this before, like how big of a thing it is from where you're tuning in. Um, Because if I had not been listening to that podcast about New York, I probably, or browsing the morning ad clips, you know, I wouldn't, we're not talking about this much down here in Nebraska yet. Yeah, we're not talking about it in New Mexico either. This is definitely an East Coast thing. So our East Coast discos, we need you to come through and let us know if you're seeing them. I mean, according to the podcast that we listen to, like they're all over the streets of New York. Like it's really bad and you're supposed to be killing, you know, obviously killing them if you see them. Um, But yeah, they are to describe them. They're like gray and brown with black spots. And then they have like some yellow and black. They have red. They're weird bugs. Maybe we should just share it to stories because uh, it's worth noting what they look like. Yeah. And they're an inch long, which I'm like, that's really big. Ew, I did not read that. Uh I had to skim over, like I said, the whole egg (laughs) part and everything. Honestly, I was like, I'm not a bug fan. Uh, I don't know. The bugs out on the East Coast are weird, I've decided, which I'm sure people from the East Coast think our bugs out here in the Southwest are really crazy. I was just going to ask, are there any bugs you'd want to create a campaign around in New Mexico? Because we have cicadas here in Nebraska. And I was like, we could do a stomp, (laughs) stomp the cicada campaign out here. And I'd probably be okay with it. Where to start with the bugs I'd like to get rid of in New Mexico? Scorpions. Centipedes are a personal least favorite. Um, I'm not a big fan of tarantulas either, which is not like, I mean, I guess it is a bug, but it's a spider. And then my, the, my nightmares are made of children of the earth. Do you know what those are? No. Sounds like a movie though. Oh my God. Don't Google it. Well, I mean, maybe if you want to see, but it is seriously what my childhood nightmares are made of. And they live in like sandy areas. So they're big in my parents, like sand dunes. And they look like a little baby with spider legs. And I don't know how else to describe them. It's so disgusting. I would do a campaign to get rid of those things. Uh, Maddie is weighing in. She said, I live in South Texas, all caps. <laughs> she, she is obviously dealing with all the bugs. Oh, did you Google it? Oh, I Googled it. Oh, my I told God. you. 
I told you. I told you. I told you. Yes, Maddie's agreeing. Yes, they're so disgusting. Yes, they're so gross. I don't know how to describe it. They look like a baby. Like it's like a head on a bug. And they're big. Get EBGBs looking, you know, where your skin just crawls looking at the photo. I said, don't Google it. That was literally what I said to you. They look fake. They definitely look like they're out of a movie, and they're they definitely yeah. look exactly like that in real life. Just I might FYI. Throw up if I ever saw these, in real I'm life. so sorry. Just right on it. Oh my goodness! I'm Have sorry ever, I did that to you. It's okay. Have you ever watched videos about the Titsy fly? No. What is that? Oh my gosh, that haunted me forever in high school. You, you, I don't know what regions of the globe it is, but they funnel under your skin. Oh my gosh. Don't Google them. You know, I if we had to start a campaign, actually, I'm surprised we didn't think about this sooner. We should probably start a campaign for the Lone Star Tick that makes people allergic to red meat. We need a campaign. Let's stomp out the Lone Star Tick. Maddie said they have chiggers. Isn't that what chiggers are? Don't chiggers oh, like get maybe under that, your leg? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not a chiggers. Oh, yeah. What is it that funnels under and they have to? Yeah, it's, it's chiggers. Maddie can weigh in. Yeah, chiggers. Yep. Okay. I had to, obviously I didn't learn about it very well, but I remember learning about it a little bit in pharmacy school and I was just scarred. What is it? I don't, yes, chiggers. No, chiggers do not burrow under the skin or suck blood. Okay. Just a second. I have to figure out what bug funnels under skin in Africa. This podcast really took a different direction today. It did, but there's full YouTube videos of people having to, well, I don't know. It's not saying anything. Ooh, is this it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not finding it now, but I know it exists and it scarred me. Well, now you can add children of the earth to your scarred list as well. I don't think they bite you or do anything, though. So I guess that sounds better than whatever it is you're Googling. Okay, I'm focusing. All right. Well, back to the article. (laughs) Anything else you have to add about what people are battling in New York? Uh, No, I feel like if you want more information, go to Morning Ad Clips because we definitely ended up down a bug rabbit hole that we cannot climb our way out of at this point. So go check out the article. And with that, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for discovering with us. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.